Part three of Portrait of a Man with Red Hair by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part three Sea Fog Section one. One. In the garden, the silence was like a warning, as though the night had her finger to her lips, holding back a multitude of breathing, deeply interested spectators. Harkness, slipping from the path onto the lawn, felt a relief, as though with the touch of his foot on the cool turf there had come a freedom from imprisonment. The garden was so friendly, so safe, so homely in its welcome. The scent of roses that had seemed to follow him throughout the adventures of that queer evening came to him now as though crowding up to reassure him. The night sky was pierced with stars, but they were thick and dim, seen through a veil of mist. The trees of the garden, like serried ranks of giants in black armor, seemed to stand in silent attention on every side of him, awaiting his orders. The voice of all this world was the sea stirring, with a sigh and a whisper, below the wall of rock. His first impulse, as he stood on the lawn, was to go away as far as he could from that house, yes, as far as ever he could, miles and miles and miles, China, if you like. Ah, no, that was just where that man would be. He was trembling and shaking and wiping his forehead with his handkerchief. The breeze stroked him with cool fingers. He must run forever to be clear of that house, and then suddenly remembered that he must not run because he had his duty to do, and even as he remembered that, a figure stepped up to him out of the trees. He would have called out, so wild and trembling were his nerves, had he not at once recognized from his great size that this was Jabez the fisherman. He might have been an incarnation of the night, with his deep black beard, his grave kindly face, and his simple natural quiet. He was dressed in his fisherman's jersey and blue trousers, and had no covering on his head. "'Good evening, sir,' he said. "'Mr. Dunbar told me as how you'd be wanting to be back in the house for a moment to fetch something you'd forgotten. We'd best be just stepping off the lawn, sir, if you don't mind. They foreigners are always nosing about.' They turned quietly off the grass and stood closely together under the dark shadow of the house. "'I must go back at once,' said Harkness. "'There's no time to lose. It struck half-past twelve some time ago.' "'Don't know nothing about that, sir,' said Jabez. "'I only know as how you must be going back into the house for something you'd forgotten, and I was to let you in.' "'Yes,' said Harkness, his teeth chattering. "'That's right.' He wasn't made in any kind of way at all for this sort of adventure. He had never before realized how utterly inefficient he was. And of all absurdities, to go back into the house when he was now safely out of it. Of all Dunbar's mad plan, this was the maddest part. What could he do but be seen or heard, and then rouse suspicion when it might so easily have been undisturbed? Let Crispin find him groping among those dark passages, and what was his fate likely to be? There flashed into his consciousness, then, a sudden suspicion of Dunbar. It might suit the boy's plans only too well that he should be found, and so turn attention to another part of the house, leaving the girl free. 
but no there was dunbar's own steady clear gaze to answer him and beyond that the certainty that crispin's suspicions roused by the discovery of himself would proceed immediately to the girl no did he return at once the plan was quite feasible seeing him there so soon after his departure they could do nothing but accept his reasons and that especially if he returned quite openly with no thought of concealment but oh how he hated to go back he put his hand on the rough stuff of jabez's jersey listened for a moment to the regular consoling breathing of the sea sniffed the roses and the cool gentle night air then said well come along jabez show me how to get back as they moved round to the door the thought came to him as to whether he had given the elder crispin and his two nasty servants time enough to retire up to their part of the house a difficult thing that to hit the precise medium between too lengthy a wait and too short he could not remember exactly what dunbar had said as to that do you think i've waited long enough jabez he asked well if you'd forgotten something sir said jabez you'd want to be sure of finding it before the house is sleeping they don't bolt this door sir he continued in a whisper because mr crispin don't like to be bolted in his fancy after half-past one or so one of the japs is around it's just their hour like from half-past twelve to half-past one that i have to watch this part of the house extra careful yes sir he added as he turned the key in the lock and pushed the door quietly open two the hall was very dark from halfway up the staircase some of the starlit evening scattered mistily through a narrow window splintering the boards with spars of pale milky shadow a clock chattered cluck 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 spin spin cluck close to harkness's ear otherwise there was not a sound anywhere he reflected that several things had been forgotten in his talk with dunbar one that there would in all probability be no light in the upper passage how was he then to find the younger crispin's door or to see whether or no there were that piece of paper under mrs crispin's secondly it would be in the room on the ground floor where he had his strange interview with the elder crispin that he must see the younger because of course that gloomy creature dumb though he appeared to be would be at least aware that harkness had never ventured into the upper floor at all and could not therefore have left his gold matchbox there on the whole this would be the better for dunbar's plan because it would lead the younger crispin all the farther from his wife's door but there were at this point so many dangers and difficulties so many opportunities of disaster that in absolute desperation he must perforce go forward he was aware that for himself now the easiest fashion would be to persuade himself that he had indeed lost his matchbox and was returning to secure it he hesitated on the bottom step of the stairs as though he were wondering what he ought to do how he might find the tiresome thing without rousing the whole house he climbed the staircase slowly walking softly but not too softly accompanied all the way by the clock that attended him like a faithful coughing dog at the turn of the stairs he found the passage that dunbar had described to him and he was instantly relieved to find that a wide and deep window at the far end had no curtain 
and that through it the long stretch was suffused with a pale ghostly light turning the heavy old frames the faded green paper into shadow opaque he hesitated looking about him then clearly saw the two doors that must be those of crispin and his wife from under one of them quite clearly a small piece of white paper obtruded he waited an instant then moved boldly forward not trying to walk softly and knocked on the nearer of the two doors there was a moment's pause during which the wild beating of his own heart and the friendly chatter of the clock from downstairs seemed to strive together to break the silence the door opened abruptly and the younger crispin his white horse face unmoved above his dark evening clothes appeared there i really must beg your pardon harkness said smiling a most ridiculous thing has happened i left the house some ten minutes ago after wishing your father good-night and it was only after going a little way that i discovered that i had lost a gold match-box of mine that was of very great value to me i hesitated as to what i ought to do i guess i should have gone straight back to my hotel but it worried me to think of losing it it has some very intimate connections for me and i knew you see that you were leaving early to-morrow morning or this morning as it is by this time i fancy so that it was now or never for my matchbox i came back very reluctantly i can assure you mr crispin i do feel this to be an intrusion i had hoped that your father would still be about and that i should simply ask him to give me a light in the room where we were sitting in a moment i am sure that we would find the thing your night porter very kindly let me in but although i had only been gone ten minutes the house was dark and there was no one about i would have left again but i tell you frankly i couldn't bear to leave the thing i saw a light behind your door and knew that someone at any rate had not gone to bed the whole thing has been unpardonable but just lend me a candle and in five minutes i shall have found it i will go down with you myself said crispin staring at harkness as though he'd never seen him before that's mighty fine of you thank you but still crispin did not move his eyes fixed on harkness's face the eyes moved they fell and it seemed to harkness that they were staring at the small piece of paper underneath the next door crispin looked then without another word went back into his room closing the door behind him harkness's heart stopped the floor pitched and heaved beneath his feet it was all over already then young crispin was now in his wife's room had discovered her in all probability in the very act of escaping in another moment the house would be aroused he prepared himself for what might come standing back against the wall his hands spread palm-wise against the paper as though he would hold himself up truly he was shaking at the knees he could see nothing only that possibility of being once again in the presence of the elder crispin of hearing again that sweet voice of feeling once more the touch of those boneless fingers of seeing for another time those mad beseeching eyes his tongue was dry in his throat yes he was afraid more utterly afraid than he would have fancied it possible for a grown man ever to be the door opened crispin appeared holding in his hand a lighted candle now let us go down he said quietly 
the relief was so great that harkness began to babble you have no idea the trouble i'm causing you at this later oh what must you think the young man said nothing harkness meekly followed the candlelight splashing the walls and floor with its wavering shadows their heads were gigantic in the faded wallpaper and harkness had a sudden fancy that the shadows here were the realities and he a mist the younger crispin gave that sense of unreality a kind of weariness went with him as though he were the personification of a strangled yawn and yet beneath the weariness and indifference there was a flame burning one realized it in that strange absorbed stare of the eyes in a kind of determination in the movements in a concentrated indifference to any motive of life but the intended one harkness was to realize this with a start of alarm surprise when once more in the long shabby room lit now only by the light of one uncertain candle young crispin turned upon him and shot out at him in his harsh rasping voice what are you here for they were standing one on either side of the table and between them on the floor were the white scattered fragments of the torn orvieto i told you said harkness i left my matchbox i won't keep you a moment if you'll allow me to take that candle no no said the other impatiently i don't mean that what do i care for your matchbox you are worrying my father i must beg you very seriously never to come near him again indeed said harkness laughing i don't understand you how could i worry your father i have never seen him in my life before this evening he invited me out here for an hour's chat i'm going now he's leaving for abroad to-morrow i don't suppose that we shall ever meet again please allow me just to find my matchbox and go but crispin had apparently heard nothing he stood his hand tapping the table i don't wish to appear rude mr mr harkness is my name harkness said ah beg your pardon i didn't catch it when my father introduced me this evening i don't want to seem offensive in any way i simply thought this a good opportunity for a few words that may help you to understand the situation my father is my chief care mr harkness he's everything to me in the world he has no one to look after him but himself he is as you must have seen very nervous and susceptible to different personalities i could see at once to-night that your personality is one that would have a very disturbing effect on him he does not recognize these things himself and so i have to protect him i beg you to leave him alone but really harkness cried the boots on the other leg your father has been very charming in showing me his lovely things but it was he who sought me out not i him i haven't the least desire to push my acquaintance with him or indeed with yourself any further crispin's cold eyes regarded harkness steadily then he moved round the table until he was close beside him i will tell you something mr uh, harkness something that probably you do not know there have been one or two persons as foolish and interfering as to suggest that my father is not in complete control of his faculties even that he is dangerous to the public peace my father is an original mind there is no one like him in this whole world 
no one who has the good of the human race at heart as he has. He goes his own way, and at times has pursued certain experiments that were necessary for the development of his general plan. He was the judge of their true necessity, and he has had the courage of his opinions, hence the inquisitive meddlesomeness of certain people. He paused, then added, if you have come here with any idea, Mr. Mr. Harkness, of interfering with my father's liberty, I warn you that one visit is enough. It will be dangerous for you to make another. Harkness' temper, so seldom at his command when he needed it, now happily flamed up. Are you trying to insult me, Mr. Crispin? he asked. It looks mighty like it, let me tell you once again, and really now for the last time that I am an American traveling for pleasure in Cornwall, that I had never heard of your father before this evening, that he spoke to me first and asked me to dine with him, and that he invited me here. I am not in the habit of spying on anybody. I would be greatly obliged if you would allow me to look for my matchbox and depart. I'm not likely to disturb you again. But this show of force did not disturb young Crispin in the least. He stood there as though he were a wax model for evening clothes in a tailor's window. His black hair had just that wig-like sleekness, his face that waxen pallor, his body that wooden patience. "'My father is everything to me,' he said simply. "'If my father died, I should die too. Life would simply come to an end for me. I am of no importance to my father. He is frequently irritated by my stupidity.' that is natural but i am there to protect him and protect him i will we have been really driven from place to place mr harkness during the last year by the ridiculous ignorant superstitions of local gossip great men always seem odd to their inferiors and my father seems odd to a number of people but i warn them all that any spying asking of questions and the like is dangerous we know how to protect ourselves. His eyes suddenly fell on the fragments of the Orvieto. He bent down and picked some of them up. A look of true human anxiety and distress crept into his queer, fish-like eyes that gave him a new air and color. Oh, dear, oh, dear, he said. Did he do this while you were with him? Yes, said Harkness, he did. Ah, oh, it was one of his favorites, he must have been in great distress. This only confirms what I said to you just now about disturbing him. I beg you to go, now, at once, immediately, and never, never return. It is so bad for my father to be disturbed. He has so excitable a temperament. Please, please, leave at once. But my matchbox, said Harkness, give me your London address. I promise you that it shall be forwarded to you." He held the candle high and swept the room with it, the sudden shadows playing on the walls like a troop of dancing scarecrows. You don't see it anywhere? Harkness looked about him, then up at the face of the chattering clock. Time enough had lapsed. She was safe away by now. Very well, then, he said. I will give you my address. Here is my card. Young Crispin, who seemed in great agitation, and under this emotion, a new and different human being from anything that Harkness had believed to be possible, 
took the card, and with the candle moved into the hall. He turned the key, opened the door, and the night air rushed in, blowing the flame. "'I wish you good night,' he said, holding out his hand. Harkness touched it. It was cold and hard. Bowed, said, "'I must apologize again for disturbing you. I would only reassure you that it is for the last time.' Both bowed, the door closed, and Harkness was once again in the garden. 3. Jabez was waiting for him. They were both in the shadow. Beyond them, the lawn was scattered with stardust mist, as though sown with immortal daisies. The stars above were veiled. The world was so still that it seemed to march forward with the rhythm of the sea, that could be heard stamping now like a whole army of marching men. "'They are waiting for you, sir,' Jabez whispered. "'I was terrible feared you'd be too long in there.' They moved, keeping to the shadows, and reached the path that led to the door in the wall. Here their feet crunched on the gravel, and every step was an agony of anticipated alarm. It seemed to Harkness that the house sprang into life, that lights jumped in the windows, figures passed to and fro, but he dared not look back, and then Jabez's hand was on the door. He was through and out safely in the wide, free road. Then, for an instant, he did look back, and there the house was, dark, motionless, rising out of the trees like part of the rock on which it was built, the high tower climbing pale in the mist above it. Only an instant's glimpse, because there was the jingle, the pony, Dunbar, and the girl. An absurd emotion took possession of him at the sight of them. He had been through a good deal that evening, and the picture of them, safe, honest, sane, after the house and the company that he had left, came with the breeze from the sea, reassuring him of normality and youth. Jabez, too, standing over them like a protective deity, his whole heart warmed to the man, and he vowed that in the morning he would do something for him that would give him security for the rest of his days. There was something in the patient, statuesque simplicity of that giant figure that he was never afterwards to forget. But he had little time to think of anything. He had climbed into the jingle, and without a word, exchanged between any of them, they were off, turning at once away from the road to the right over a turfy path that led to the downs. Dunbar, who had the reins, spoke at last. "'My God,' he said, "'I thought you were never coming.' "'I had a queer time,' Harkness answered, whispering because he was still under the obsession of his escape from the house." "'You must remember that I'm not accustomed to such adventures. "'I've never had such an odd two hours before, "'and I shouldn't think that I'm ever likely to have such another again.' "'They all clustered together, as though to assure one another "'of their happiness at their escape. "'The strong tang now of the sea in their faces, "'the freshness of the wide open sky, "'the spring of the turf beneath the jingle's wheels, "'all spoke to them of their freedom. "'They were so happy,' that had they dared, they would have sung aloud. But Harkness now was conscious only of one thing, that Hester Crispin, a black shawl over her head, only the outline of her figure to be seen against the blue night, was pressed close to him. Her hand touched his knee, 
the strands of her hair escaping the shawl blew close to his face he could feel the beating of her heart an ecstasy seized him at the sense of her closeness whatever was to come of that night at least this he had his perfect hour the elder crispin and his madness the younger and his strangeness the dim faded house the jewels and the torn orvieto the mad talk all these vanished into unreality and curiously this ride was joined directly to the dance around the town as though no other events had intervened then he had won his freedom this sanctified it then he had felt his common humanity with all life now he knew his own passionate share in it he wanted nothing for himself but this that like browning's strong peasant he might serve his duchess at the last receiving his white rose and watching her vanish into her own magical kingdom a romantic idealistic american as has been already declared in this history but ten hours ago both romance and idealism were theoretic now they were pulsing living things hester's the one for my money dunbar said some of his happiness at their safety ringing through his voice you should have seen her climb out of that window she landed on the roof of that tool-house so lightly that not a mouse could have heard her and then she swung down the pipe like a monkey tell me how you managed with friend crispin oh, wasn't difficult harkness answered he went with me to that long room downstairs like a lamb he told me that he had been wanting to speak with me to tell me that i was bothering his father and must keep away that you were bothering his father yes he uh, wait do you hear anyone coming they listened the ramp ramp of the sea was now very loud they had come nearly two miles on the soft track across the downs they stayed listening staring into the distance there was no sound but the sea then a bell ringing mournfully regretfully through the air that's the lidden said dunbar we must be nearly at our cottage but i don't hear anything unless they saw the jingle they never would think of this our only danger was the younger crispin going into hester's room after he left you i believe we're safe they stayed there listening very strange in that wide expanse with only the bell for their company they drove on a little way and a building loomed up this was a deserted cottage simply the four walls standing i'm to tie the pony to this dunbar said jabez will fetch it in the morning they climbed out of the jingle and waited while the pony was tied having done it dunbar raised his head sniffing the air i say don't you think the mist's coming up a bit it won't do if it gets too thick we'll have difficulty in finding the cove it was true the mist was spreading like very thin smoky glass the pony was etherealized the cottage a ghostly cottage well come on dunbar said we haven't a great deal of time but the cove's only a step of the way along here to the right he led the others followed hester had hitherto said nothing now she looked up at harkness thank you for helping us it was generous of you he could not see her face he touched her hand with his for a moment 
I guess that was the least anyone could do, he said. Oh, I'm so glad it's over, she gave a little shiver, to be out here free after those weeks after that house. You don't know, you don't know what that was. I can pretty well imagine, Harkness answered grimly, from the hour or two I spent in your father-in-law's company. But don't let's talk about it just now. Afterwards we'll tell each other about all our adventures. Isn't it strange, she said simply, we've only exchanged a word or two, we never knew one another before this evening, and yet we're like old friends. Isn't it pleasant? Very pleasant, he answered. We must always be friends. Yes, always, she said. They were standing close to the broken wall of the cottage. It had a wonderfully romantic air in the night air. It was so lonely and so independent as well. The storms that must beat around it on wild nights, the screams of the birds, the battering roar of the waves, and then to sink into that silence with only the voice of the bell for its company. But Dunbar was no poet. A ruined cottage was a ruined cottage to him. I don't like this mist, he said. It's made me a little uncertain of my bearings. I wonder if you'd mind, Hester, waiting here for five minutes while I go and see... Oh, no, we'll all stick together, she interrupted. Why should we separate? Why, I'm more sure-footed than you are, David. You're trying to mother me again. No, I'm not, he answered doggedly, but I'm really not quite sure of the way down, and if we got in a mess halfway, it would be much worse your being there. Really, these paths can be awfully nasty. I want to be sure of my way before you come. Really, Hester... She saw that it was important to him. She laughed. It's stupid when I'm a better climber than you are, but if you like it, you're the commander of this expedition. She seated herself on a stone near the pony. The two men walked off. The sea mist was very faint, blowing in little wisps like a tattered lawn, not obscuring anything, but rendering the whole scene ethereal and unreal. Suddenly, however, as though out of friendly interest, the stars that had been quite obscured again appeared, twinkling, humorous eyes looking down over the wall of heaven. We should be all right, Dunbar said as the two men set off. We are up to time. The boat is bound to be there. It's lucky the fog hasn't come. That's a contingency I never thought of. The path down to the cove is off here, to the right of the cottage somewhere. I've studied every inch of the country round here. The path appeared. Tell me, did you have a queer time with Crispin, uh, uh, the elder one, I mean? I've never had so strange a conversation with anyone, said Harkness. Madness is a queer thing when you are in actual contact with it, because we have, every one of us, enough madness in ourselves to wonder whether someone else is so mad after all. He talked the most awful nonsense, and dangerous nonsense too. But there was a kind of theory behind it, something that almost held it all together, a sort of pathos too, so that you felt, in spite of yourself, sorry for the man. But Dunbar was no analyzer of human motives, he despised fine shades and was a man of action. Sorry for him, just about as sorry as you are for a spider that is spinning a nest in your clothes cupboard. Sorry, he wants crushing underfoot like a white slug, 
and that he'll get before i've finished with him why man he's murderous he loves torture and slow fire like the old spaniards in the inquisition there's so little to catch on to that's the trouble but i bet that if he had caught us helping hester out of that house to-night there would be something to catch on to why if we were to fall into his hands now ah it doesn't bear thinking of oh yes of course harkness agreed he's dangerously mad he'll be in an asylum before many days are out if ever i've been justified in any action of my life it has been this in helping that poor girl out of the hands of those two men all the same oh it's sad dunbar there is something so tragic in madness whether it's dangerous or no something captive like a bird in a cage and something common to us all well if you think that the kind of things that crispin senior is after are common to us all you must have a pretty low view of humanity the beastly swine something pathetic why you're a curious fellow harkness to feel pathos in that situation you may hate it and detest it you must confine it because it's dangerous to the community but you can pity it all the same his eyes that longing to escape but dunbar had found the cleft they were now right above the sea although there was so slight a wind the waves were breaking noisily on the shore the stars had gone again but the edge of the cliff was clear and far below it a thin line of ragged white leapt to the eye vanished and leapt again here's the path down said dunbar there isn't much light but enough i fancy we'll both go down so that we can be sure of our way when we come back with hester and we may both be needed to help her the path's all right though it's slippery after wet weather but there's been no rain for days can you make it out clearly enough yes harkness said but he felt anything but happy of all the things that he had done that evening this was the one that he liked least he had a very poor head for heights growing dizzy under any provocation the angry snarl of the sea bewildered him and little breaths of vapour curled about him changing from moment to moment the form and shape of the scene he would have liked to suggest to dunbar that there was no need for him to go down this first time but coward though he might be he had come down to trellis to beat that cowardice certainly the adventures of that night were giving him every opportunity he went to the edge and looked over the sea banged up to him and the grey curved shadow of the cove seemed to be miles below him the little path ran on the edge of the cliff between two precipitous slopes and its downward curve was sharp he pulled himself together thinking of hester waiting there by the cottage alone dunbar had already started he followed when he had gone a little way his knees began to wobble his legs taking on a strange life of their own his imagination had all his days been dangerous for him in any crisis because he always saw more than was truly there now the sea breeze blew on either side of him the path was so narrow that there was not room to plant his two feet at the same time the dim shadow light confused his eyes and the roar of the sea leapt at him like a wild animal 
However, he pressed forward, looking neither to right nor to left, and with what thankfulness he felt the wet sand yield beneath him and saw the boat drawn up under an overhanging rock only a few feet away from him. "'There it is,' said Dunbar, eyeing the boat with intense satisfaction. "'Now I think we're all right. I don't see what's going to stop us. We'll be across there in half an hour, and then have a good hour before the train.' He held out his hand. "'Harkness, I simply can't tell you what I think of your doing all this for us. Coming down here just to have a holiday, and then taking all these risks for people you've never seen before. It's fine of you.' and I'll never forget it. Oh, it's nothing at all, said Harkness, blushing as he always did when he himself was at all in discussion. As a matter of fact, I've had what has been, I suppose, the most interesting evening of my life, and I dare say it isn't all over yet. There's not much fear of their catching us now, said Dunbar, but you've been in more than real actual danger than you imagine. As I said just now, anything might have happened to us if he had caught us. You don't know how remote that house is. He could do what he pleased without anyone being the wiser, and be off in the morning, leaving our corpses behind him. The only servants in that house are those two Japs. There's Jabez, said Harkness. Jabez is outside and is only temporary. He wouldn't have stayed after tomorrow anyway. He hates the man. Fine fellow, Jabez. I don't know how I would have managed this affair without him. He fell in love with Hester. He'd do anything for her. And then, like the rest of the neighborhood, he detested the Japanese. End of Part 3, Section 1